0: So rare to touch and keep and subtle dharma, having to see and hear, remember and become. We vow to taste the truth that is right here, yet so far beyond words. Good morning, good morning, good morning Morning folks in the Zendo, morning folks online, there are a lot of you I see, welcome, it's great to see you. So, if you just came in this morning, you probably noticed that things uh, feel a little different this morning, and that's because We're in the seventh day of our seven day Rohatsu retreat, uh, which we do in honor of uh, Shakyamuni Buddha's uh, enlightenment. So some of us have been here sitting for uh, seven days and some uh, for a little less. And um, people have been sitting online as well. And uh, so we may seem very quiet Uh, There won't be any tea today because we have to maintain our silence. We don't mean to be unfriendly. Uh, Please come back Tuesday night or next Sunday and have tea and we'll talk and laugh and it'll be fun. So the thing about retreat is you really know you're alive. (laughs) That doesn't mean you're always happy. Because things happen. You, you might have terrible, difficult times. You might have kind of ecstatic times. You might have some times in the middle. But no matter what it is, you're here for it. You are present. You are living it uh, vividly. And a week in retreat can seem like about six months <laughs> in retreat. You end your retreat and you're like, whoa, I, I haven't done this for so long. <laughs> One time I thought I had forgotten how to drive and I'd <laughs> stayed here the whole seven days. So, yeah, the, uh, the previous translation of the harmony of difference and sameness that we used to chant ended with, don't waste time. And I liked that. Translation, don't waste time, live your life, live it intensely, find a way, do it now. Don't wait, don't wait, do it now. Find a way to live your life vividly each moment. So uh, each time for Rohatsu, we choose a theme and I'm co-leading this one with Ben. And we've been alternating talks and we chose as a theme, Dogen's, uh, the Bodhisattva's Four Methods of Guidance. So this is about how to be a Bodhisattva, a highly realized being uh, who is dedicated to helping other beings and acting in harmony with other beings. This is our ideal, the Bodhisattva. and. The four methods of guidance there are four ways to do that four ways to be a bodhisattva giving kind speech beneficial action which is kind of about the nuts and bolts of helping others and identity action which i will talk about uh, today and i've been talking about this inward outward thing uh, that this is kind of outward directed how to be a bodhisattva how to help people in the world but in retreat, we tend to kind of go inside and work on what's in here. So I've been looking at these ways of going outside to be a bodhisattva and thinking about how they apply to what's inside. Uh, when it comes to giving, we can give to others, but we can also be very giving to ourselves. And in fact, that's a necessary part of our practice. Or kind speech. We can look at how do we talk to ourselves when we have our inner uh, monologue. So what is identity action? Uh, well, um, uh, that's part four, and Ben did the first part of identity action yesterday, and I took notes, and um, he said in the Poly canon, there was an earlier version of these four things, and this one was called not identity action, but consistency in the face of events. Consistency, not in the sense of always doing the same thing, but in the sense of, always being there, always being available to meet the situation, whatever it is uh, that arises. And um, later on, as Mahayana Buddhism developed, we see in the Avatamsaka Sutra that it was called a cooperation. I hope I'm getting all of this right. (laughs) Ben is the scholar of this group. (laughs) So that's a little more outward focus, cooperation, a little less self and other, and uh, it stresses um, uh, skillful means as well. And in that first section that Ben covered, it says, identity action means non-difference. It is non-difference from self, non-difference from others. When we know identity action, self and others are one. So this is the basis for what we do. Uh, And then he read, uh, the ocean does not exclude water, That is why it is large. The mountain does not exclude soil. That is why it is high. A wise lord does not exclude people. That is why he has many subjects. And my section begins, that the ocean does not exclude water is identity uh, action. So this is pretty typical uh, Dogen. Uh, Not so easy to unpack. I'm not going to go into detail trying to unpack it, but I can tell you what a couple of other teachers said about identity uh, action. Hosan Alan Sanaki said that identity action is simply an expression of what the ancestors called dependent origination. Because there is this, there is that. Because this arises, that arises. Everything arises together anew Every Everything is coming up and everything is moving. So identity action is acting in identity with that. And then uh, Domio Burke, who has a um, podcast, uh, she said the Japanese word for identity action is doji. Do means same, ji means thing, matter, or task. So literally it is identity of task, It could be identity of purpose, or she likes being in the same boat. (laughs) And I could get complicated about why the ocean does not exclude water, but I like her definition. Uh, And she said, you know, what would it mean for the ocean to exclude water, for for the mountain to exclude soil, for the Lord to exclude people? Well, if we were the ocean, we might think, we're pretty important because we are so vast. And we might think dismissively of the little stream that uh, that opens into us. And we are unimaginably wide and deep. But of course, the ocean is made up of water that flows uh, from all of these little streams or other bodies or from the rain. Water is water and it all flows eventually to the sea, only to rise again in the clouds. It would be ridiculous for an ocean to conceive of itself as separate, as separate from any of its parts. It is made up of water. And yet, this is what we do uh, when we get inflated with self-importance. We exclude things about ourselves and we need to exclude, I mean, we need to include Every part of ourselves, I need to include every part of myself, my past lives when I was maybe so different. I'm talking about past lives in this life, <laughs> so different. Uh, some parts which were not so great, I can't exclude, you know, yucky Ted. Any part <laughs> of myself, none of us can. So I'm not going to go through this section. Us. Uh, 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 Line by line, Uh, there's a lot there, but I'd like to try to present just one idea. I am going to use a lot of words and some examples, but I hope it's just one idea. So I'm going to try to provide you my take on what identity action is. And my definition is uh, action that comes when we're so identified with another that there is a complete mutuality of interest. So it's a cooperation with another being or beings. But we can go further and say it's not just cooperation with another being or beings, it's cooperation moving and acting in accordance with the entire dynamic universe, everything. Being in harmony with everything, excluding nothing. Taking it all in and going toward it with what is needed by it from us to make it do the thing it does. And it's gonna do the thing it does. And it is so beautiful when it does that. It'll be fine, it'll be fine. But if we can be there with it, then then everything's fine. We're fine too, we're not excluded. Here we are, here we are. So uh, I'd like to provide a couple of um, illustrations of what it means to be so identified with another that there is a complete, mutuality of interest. And I wanted to think of an example where maybe it's an extreme situation where mutuality between people becomes clear. Uh, And I thought about a scientific expedition I've read about uh, in a book called uh, Crossing Antarctica by Will Steger, who is a member of uh, the Sangha. Uh, I read this book about this incredible thing that he did with these other people. There were six people, six guys, and they crossed Antarctica by dog sled, and they went the longest possible route there's that peninsula you know that sticks way up from they started at the end of that peninsula went all the way down that peninsula all the way to the South Pole and all the way across the other uh, to the other side of Antarctica uh, that had never been done before, and it will probably never be done again because I think some of those ice shelves that they traveled on uh, aren't there anymore but it's just an amazing, amazing book. Uh, and the surprising thing for me was what I remember vividly about the book, it's not so much being with the dogs every day, you know, going forward. I remember the part where they're in the tents because he talks about the life in the in the tent, you know, and they have two people to a tent uh, and it's very confined quarters and they're there for a number of hours and they have to do certain things to survive, they have to do cooking, etc. And there's one guy who every night puts each of his things exactly in the same place in the tent, because that works uh, works for him. And um they uh would uh change tent mates every once in a while so they don't get sort of you know too clicky and so they could communicate more because it's pretty hard to communicate when you're outside of the tent because there's a howling wind and it's 90 degrees low. <laughs> um, so this was about survival, and there's no way you can be like competitive with the other people on the expedition, right? And there's no way you can try to sort of do something at their expense to make yourself happy. I mean, number one, that's a delusion that you can make yourself happy if you do something at someone else's expense. <laughs> It'll eat at you, you will not be happy. <laughs> And number two, if you do that and they're damaged, you're damaged too, because you totally depend upon them for the uh, success of the, uh, the expedition. If any one person falters, they all falter. So they have to look after the other person as if that is the key to life itself, uh, which it is. And the same goes with the dogs. And near the end of the ex- expedition, there was a guy who got lost. And they almost lost him, but they did find him. It was serious uh, business. So identity action is like this. Uh, We all really do uh, depend on each other as we live on this planet. And it may not always be so apparent that that's the same kind of relationship that these six guys had in Antarctica. Uh, but it is, I mean, because there are billions of us, but it's the same thing. we depend on each other uh, in that way and I wanted to think of another example <clears throat> uh, when I felt total identity with someone else at a time when I needed to act and kept thinking about it and I thought of something, but it's not about a person. it's about one of my animal friends uh, my dog uh, my dog Gus that I had for. 14 years, I think. Uh, he was uh, half uh, Samoyed and half Siberian husky. And he was a magnificent dog. He was mostly black, but he had white on his ears. He had kind of a white chest. And he had a lot of dignity. And uh, he would do this thing with his voice. Sometimes he would meet people that he liked and he'd kind of go, ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, oh, and it would just astonish people it was like he was having a conversation. You know? And uh, you know we hitchhiked together. This is a long time ago, uh, when I did construction. Uh, we lived together in the back of a truck. I had him in this whole series of of houses, and he was a he was a great dog. And one time we were camping in the Black Hills, and we were at a campground in a tent. And um, I had left his bowl of dog food with dog food in it outside of the tent. He was in the tent sleeping uh, with me, and. Uh, during the night, I heard like this little crunching out there, <laughs> and I thought, "What could that be?" And I go out of the tent, and I see what the crunching is. It's this little family of raccoons is eating the dog food, and they're so cute. There's like three little raccoons, and they're crunching up the dog food, and that was so sweet. So I went back in the tent, and the next night we went to a different uh, campground, and we were sleeping, and you would think I would have learned my lesson. <laughs> that you don't leave dog food in the bowl outside the tent. But no, I didn't learn that lesson. I'm, I'm slow. And so I hear the same thing in the middle of the night. And so I get up, and I go outside the tent. Oh, what cute animal is this. And I get out there, and I think it's a moonlit light, night, and I see this flash of white. And you know what that flash of white is? It was not. It was a cute little animal, but it was a skunk. It was a skunk, and I thought this could be such a disaster. I'm 25 miles from a paved road. How am I going to buy tomato juice and take a tomato juice bath? And how am I going to get home? Gus and I driving home in our in our in our truck, really smelling because he, the same dog, had once been sprayed by a skunk, and he had to live outside for a month. It was like, yeah. so I was scared. I was scared. So I go back in the tent, and, and there's Gus. He's keyed up. You know something's going on. And I know I've got to keep him quiet because if he starts barking, we're done. Him. So I go over to him. and I hold him really close, and I'm like, you know, these words. I mean, but, but it's like, Gus, be quiet. You gotta be quiet. You gotta be quiet. And I can just see him, and he's like. Every fiber of his brain <laughs> wants to protect himself from this horrible thing out there. He wants, he wants to bark, he wants to, he wants to shout, but, but there I am. And I can just see like his mind working and restraining his animal nature and he gets it, and he stays still. And I felt so connected with him at that moment. you know We're different species. Uh, our brains work differently. But there we are, united in this incredible need. He doesn't know what's out there, but he knows he needs to be. He needs to be quiet. And our brains aren't totally different. We've got you know that part, that part down here, which is kind of the animal nature, kind of the, the lizard brain. Probably Gus and I, that part of our brains pretty much the same. We were united, at least uh, at least on that level. So the skunk. Took forever, but finished his meal and went away and everything was okay. Um, that's, uh, that's the second skunk story I've told during this retreat. Um, and that's because our beautiful skunk friends have a way of focusing our attention. Mm-hmm. Kind of like uh, categories Moose. But isn't that a funny name we've given him? it's a skunk (laughs) there's so much more than that there's so much more than just a skunk you know they're so beautiful in the moonlight have you ever seen a mother skunk with her little baby skunks? i have from the safety of being inside a building and it's sweet it's really so so cute so names are so are so very limited um but so gus and i we we connected uh with that skunk too. And I'm pretty sure the skunk knew that there were other creatures behind that thing there that was our tent. Uh, but, and uh, we did our part. We remained quiet and non-threatening. And the skunk did her part. She gratefully received the meal and she left us alone. So the three of us working in harmony, identity, uh, action. So, uh, I'm going to go now from skunks to sangha. No disrespect intended, because we love the skunks. <laughs> um, so, really, you know, I think the best example of identity action that I could, I could possibly come up with is this retreat. And uh, Ben has talked about that too. Uh, saying basically that identity action is practicing together beautifully, caring for each other. Uh, And uh, I'm going to talk about it some more. I'm going to tell you a little bit what the retreat is like. Um, So uh, we go from about 5.45 uh, a.m. to 9 o'clock p.m. So with driving, uh, I live at home, that's a, a 16 to 17 hour a day. Um, so maybe a little short on sleep. Uh, most all of our time is structured. We do have some breaks after meals, uh, and we have uh, movement, we have a Dharma talk, we have a work period, but our meals are formal. And so it requires uh, a great effort and a lot of work. And when Ben suggested a list of possible topics, and I chose this one, it didn't occur to me how strange it would be to talk to this group about the four methods of guidance, how weirdly unnecessary it would seem to encourage people to engage in selfless action because that's all they're doing here. They're giving. They gave up a week. Uh, They're giving to help other people in the saga. Uh, speech, they are engaging in kind speech. They're not talking at all. <laughs> That's the kindest speech of all. <laughs> Beneficial action, they're doing the jobs, they're serving food, they're cooking food, they're cleaning the bathrooms, they're, um, planning the schedule, all of that stuff. And then there's identity action doing it together. Um, but I can sp- explain a little bit about sort of how that comes together in the retreat. Uh, and um, uh, maybe uh, suggest a little, a little bit about how to work that into our lives. So um, this has been an unusual retreat. I mean, all retreats are unusual and they're safe in, in their own way. They can never be the same. But this one, I think, takes the cake. Um, because it's been a small retreat, and that's because of illness. There's been a lot of illness around. so we had people cancel people who didn't sign up at all, people who uh, wanted to come in person and then decided to practice only online. And so um, those of us who are in in the retreat, we're all wearing masks today, except me. Um, I've tested negative three days in a row, which is a good sign. Um, But this retreat is the smallest rohatsu that I've seen, I think, in a long, long time. Maybe years ago when we did them, In the old Zendo, maybe there was a retreat this small. I'm not sure. Uh, So as a result, we have people doubling up on jobs. uh, Because we have all of this stuff we do, like the meals take so many people to pull them off for people to serve and be served. So we have people doubling up on jobs. We have people really, uh, really uh, being uh, busy. And uh, we've been urging self-care. And we made work practice optional one day and we've urged people to take breaks and I think people are doing well and people have really jumped in and they're serving really quietly and with the smaller numbers and all of that cooperation that we needed, I think it seems like a very intimate and uh, supportive uh, retreat. And. You know, I was talking to one of the servers about giver, receiver, and gift because that's part of our, our chance. And when you serve food, you know, that's, that's such a beautiful thing when you serve food in Orioki because you come up to a person who is seated and you're holding a pot of food and you bow and they bow back and you get down on your knees and you serve the food into the bowl in a certain way and you get up and you bow back. And I love that because the line between giver, receiver, and gift is—it's like erased. It would seem the ser- the server is giving something, but the recipient is giving something too. They're giving the opportunity to serve. They're giving their presence. They're giving their uh, their 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 encouragement and all of their practice. Yes, I am here doing this uh, with you. And so uh, this seems like the essence of identity action to me. And you develop such caring for people, I think. You don't express it verbally because uh, you're not supposed to talk, but you, we see it in simple actions. It's just really apparent, the regard for we have for each other. And I hear about it in Dokasan, because I, I get to talk to people in one on one meetings. And uh, it's like, I just love everybody. so. <laughs> and it's like the opposite of what can happen. You can be at an event and you see people coming in and you, and you kind of judge them one at a time. Like, oh, I don't like that kind of person. There's some <laughs> judgment that we do. Well, we need to work on that when that happens. But it's the opposite of that. It's like each person comes in and you go, oh. <laughs> and, and so we have this closeness, closeness. And it's not—it's not gushy. It's dignified and it's quiet, and um, and and it can be really beautiful. But you know, I have a couple of uh, caveats here. I don't want to go too far with any of this stuff. Um, I don't want to over dramatize. You know, I mean, you can still get kind of grumpy or kind of selfish <laughs> in the middle of a retreat. We're not all walking around in a mystical state all, all the time. <laughs> Well, maybe a couple, of them, <laughs> but um, uh, more, more often it's just kind of a quiet kind of thing, and it goes, it goes up and down. But we seem to keep coming back to this group thing. Um, and also, another caveat, in exercising identity action, we have to remember to use good sense. We don't enter into harmful relationships. We maintain appropriate boundaries. We don't let people walk on you. So acting in total identity with someone, the way you know the way Gus and I did, that's not something you do without remembering uh, uh, safety and good sense. And also, I just don't want to overpromise. Retreat is different for everyone. You may do a retreat and not feel these connections at all, and. Um, It may take a while, or it might just be very different for you. But what it is, this thing that can develop during retreat, uh, and of course in many other settings where we work in harmony with others, that is the identity part of identity action. The boundary between self and other becomes thin. The walls of this vessel we are in become porous. And we can let down our defenses a little bit. We can be vulnerable. We know we're safe. We can let people in. We can not be so quick uh, to judge. We can have a lot of trust. Uh, And then there's the action part of identity action. And that comes from the deepest part of the self, the true self which is the self that is connected with all beings. And the porousness comes from the practice because you can become so quiet, so very quiet, and it can take a while. It can take a few days. I think it takes about five days (laughs) to to, get glimpses, but it takes about five days to kind of go, oh, can be here for a while in this place where the boundary between self and other is very thin. And you can begin to see what has always been there but is quite obscured. And that is just being present without any of the extra stuff. And, oh, we've got so much extra stuff, so many ideas about people and things. But when those fade away, and it's just the person serving me, we're there with the real person. And I mentioned earlier that I I would talk about how to cultivate identity action, and I don't have a list for that, as I often do, because it's pretty simple. Uh, And I think it's just uh, mostly do the practice. It's a natural outcome of devoted practice. Uh, the only thing I would mention is to do uh, do the retreats because it's about moving in harmony with Sangha at the retreat. That's not something you can get uh, get from uh, books. It's something you have to experience, and it's a vital part of our um, of our uh, our work. And identity action follows from the practice, and it might just be tiny things you see. It might be kind of a flow state that lasts for a little while, or maybe for a long time. And sometimes identity action follows in very big ways. You may have some kind of a problem or a thing that you've been working with for a long time, and it just seems intractable. It seems like it won't go away. It might seem like a knot, an actual knot somewhere in in your body or in your mind and it seems like it will never yield and you've tried to think your way out of it you've thought about it in a hundred different ways and a thousand different times and it will not yield. but what does cause those knots to yield to open up is a turning of the heart and you can't make a turning of the heart happen and you can't even be sure how it's going to happen but what you can do is create conditions that invite that quiet and that porousness by living your life deliberately. And that is Buddha's enlightenment, identity action, living your life deliberately in such a way that you act in harmony with all beings. so identity action means that there's a complete identity between the person acting and the person affected by that acting giver and receiver are not separate it also means that there is identity between awakening and action i think we might envision a kind of awakening that is total stillness total stillness you know, blowing out the candle and, and that kind of thing appears, I think, in the poly canon. But I think nothing is really still. We can't be still. We can only hope to be in motion with everything. So I can accept that we're looking for total stillness here if we define that as stillness within action. Because enlightenment is in the doing. It is not a state, it is a process, it is being. It is being. And there is no being separate from action. There is no repose separate from action. Even repose is dynamic because we're always in motion. Everything arises together each moment, each moment, everything arising all the time. And all we're doing is trying to sync up our motions with it. We don't have to lead it, or fight it, or figure it out. We gotta just be with it. And usually, you know, we're just flailing around. <laughs> we're so confused, and there's so much going on, and you know, we're looking behind us, we're looking ahead of us, and we don't know what to do. And <laughs> <laughs> it's just a big problem. Um, But sometimes, sometimes we settle down. We get the opportunity to settle down and we're not flailing. We're kind of right here. We can kind of see ahead of us. And we can feel the harmony. We can feel maybe even in a physical way. You know, like energy moving through us. We feel this harmony and we feel this connection with the other people in the room. And it's just like, yeah, there it is. And what do I need to do? I I just need to do this. I just need to do the smallest thing here to adjust, to stay in harmony. And if I just drop all of the flavor, all of the problems and all of the difficulty, that's all, I'm just right here. I'm just right here and I can stay here. And I'm gonna know what to do. I'm gonna know what to do. And you can't mess it up if you stay with it. (laughs) You can't mess it up. So it's a little, It's a little like the trout. I did a talk one time um, called Here at the Top of the World about a trip I made to Glacier National Park, where I saw a trout in the stream at the top of the world where, you know, the the snow melt comes down and that's where the streams start. And in this beautiful clear water, I saw several trout and there they are in the water, you know, and they appear to be completely still. They're completely still, it appears, because they're not moving down the stream. But of course, the stream is moving. They have to do something in order to remain completely still. So they got their little fins going. They're doing, you know, whatever trout do to kind of <laughs> stay in the place.
1: And that's all it
0: takes is just that little bit, little bit of motion. They are being dynamic. They are resting in action, and that's what we can do. We can rest in action. And so um, I think a final example um, coming out of the retreat and this morning about identity action is, is speaking, you know, speaking at a retreat. It's kind of a weird situation because people, you know, generally they don't talk. They might talk a little if they need to during work period or in the kitchen or something, but generally people don't talk. But as a retreat leader, you get to talk all the time. And I'm worried, like, I'm going to get tired of my voice. (laughs) And, but it's great. It's great because you really feel a connection, and you don't feel as strong a sense of self, like, hey, I'm running the retreat, as you might think. Because for one thing, audiences, Zen audiences are very attentive, really attentive. I mean, speakers here in this building are lucky because of the attention they get. Most people don't get this, you know. Sometimes I go occasionally talk to other groups that aren't Zen groups and and it's it's like weird for me because it's, not, I'm like, is that person yawning? And I take it personally because I'm very, very sensitive to those kinds of things. <laughs> and we are so lucky. So when I speak, you know, you give me this great attentive attentiveness. And that is a great uh, gift for me. And it's not just that. Also, like I draw subject matter. And some of you may have had the experience of hearing me do a talk and thinking, that sure sounds a lot like what we talked about in Dokusam yesterday. And it might, and I don't identify people ever, But I might take a general theme that arises in Dokasan. and this really helps me I mean this is a concern that someone has and we're working it out together we're developing it together and I think oh that's what's needed in the retreat right now I don't want a canned talk that I wrote a week ago I want a talk that comes right out of uh, the retreat so my talk right now it's not really it's coming from all of you and the best thing that i can do is to get out of the way and not assert myself but just kind of channel what is here in this room and it's my role to do that but it's not me the less of me uh the better so um i've been working with a, a couple of folks on a project involving uh, about leadership. And um, it's uh, it's it's been pretty good um, because I think uh, that is true leadership. If we can see this from a Zen point of view, that is true leadership, not to try to assert yourself and lead and figure it out, figure out what the group needs and lead them from where they are to this other place, but it's really your job to find what is there and to bring it out. So you can be like the trout, the person in a leadership position, you know. You, you might be the head trout today because that's your role, but you're, you're maintaining that uh, motion. You're maintaining that great care. You're making little adjustments here and there. So um, uh, finally I would just like to mention uh to the folks in in the retreat uh, I mean this is for everybody really but um uh a little later we'll be celebrating the buddha's enlightenment we have Shakyamuni Buddha here on the altar today uh instead of the uh female bodhisattva figure that we usually have <laughs> and so we're going to um do this uh do this uh, ceremony And when we do this, I hope we can keep in mind dynamic identity action, because we celebrate the Buddha's enlightenment by sitting facing the wall totally still, but we also celebrate uh, his enlightenment with our action. And the service we'll have with bowing and chanting, blending our voices together, doing the same thing at the same time, uh, walking past each other uh, beautifully, just paying attention to each other so much that the subtlest little thing, the subtlest little, act, little action can be so beautiful, uh, when you're, when you're awake. We'll be, uh, we'll be doing that. We'll be acting in dynamic identity action. So identity with all parts of ourselves, identity, identity with creatures, dogs, skunks, everyone. Uh, identity uh, with each other, with the Sangha, with the Maha-Sangha, with the entire world uh, will continue our practice and allow that separation between self and other uh, to become more porous. So uh, that's what I have to say and we have just a few minutes so I would like to invite a comment or maybe a question from someone in the room or someone online and for folks in the retreat we haven't been taking questions at the end of our talks because we like to just you know keep the container so hello can you hear me yes hey it's lucien Hi. So I just want to say thank you for your Dharma talk. I really enjoyed it. Um, I really missed you guys the week you were all gone for Rohatsu, So it's just really nice to see the Sangha in your face again. So thank you. Thank you. Could you hear that? Just, uh, uh, yeah, you really missed us <laughs> while we were in Rohatsu. Thank you. Okay. All right. Well, I like the quiet. I think it's a pretty appropriate response. <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll finish out our day, folks in the retreat. I urge you to stay in the retreat. We're close to the end, and it's easy to start thinking about what you're going to do when you go home. Try not to do that. We have this wonderful opportunity for a few more hours here. And uh, if we anticipate that stuff too much, it'll be kind of stilted when we get there because we'll have our expectations of what it should be like at home. So just try to really stay in the retreat and just... uh, Just do the practice, we'll do that all together for a few more hours. And uh, I just, I wanna express my gratitude to everyone here. It's been really, really uh, extraordinary. Really a beautiful retreat. Uh, Really a wonderful practice, wonderful practice. Mm -hmm. The sterling's gotten really tight. (laughs) Not rigid, it's okay to make a mistake, but people are paying attention, it's such a beautiful thing. And um, thanks to everyone who came this morning and everyone online. And I hope you can, you know, maintain some mindfulness today and have a really good day. So thank you all.